0: The ISJL is important because we support, connect, and celebrate Jewish life in the South. And so we're really trying to not just focus on the fact that we can provide resources for, but we're also celebrating the rich Jewish history that is here.
1: Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. Also want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, JLTV, Jewish Life Television Network. JLTV is a 24-7 cable and satellite television network delivering news, history, and entertainment. JLTV brings together the greatest voices from around the country, across the world, and from the Holy Land. Go to jltv.tv for stories that inspire. Welcome to the Holy Sparks podcast. Salka here. Super excited for my guest today. And without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce the woman properly. Shira Muroff is the director of programs at the goldring Waldenberg Institute of Southern Jewish Life. She's a California native and a graduate of the University of California, Davis, with a degree in human development. A Jacksonian since 2016, Shira first joined the ISJL as an education fellow from 2016 to 2018. After the fellowship, she created Mississippi history materials for students and teachers across the state with the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Back at the ISJL since 2022, Shira has enjoyed connecting with communities across the South to Jewish speakers, musicians, and comedians. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Shira. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
0: I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. How are you?
1: Good happy to have you. I think it's been about 11 years since I first connected to the ISJL, but we'll get there in just a minute. But just for a minute, talk a little bit about your background growing up. I think you grew up in California. Talk a little bit about your Jewish background.
0: Yeah. So I grew up primarily, I was originally born in the South, but I moved to California when I was four. And so I am a Los Angeles area native, grew up in the suburbs of LA, and was quite immersed in the Jewish community. Did Los Angeles Hebrew High through my senior year of high school. Was a big Camp Alonim kid. Worked there on staff till 2015 as I was graduating college. So I was very immersed in kind of the extracurricular Jewish secondary school programs, as well as camp growing up my whole life. So that was a big part of my life. And Jewish art played into that as well. My parents exposed me from a very young age, a lot of Jewish music and theater. And so I think I've had this kind of piece of Jewish culture has been a good through line through my life as well.
1: Cool. And I know you talked fast there, but Hebrew high in LA. Now is that different from J is it J C H S? There's like a Milken High School. There's a few yeah. Hebrew high schools in LA. Yes. So
0: Milken is the eight to five standard full day program. Los Angeles Hebrew High was a weekend and after school program. So I went to public school, but then we would go in our branch, in our suburb, Tuesdays after school. And then on Sundays, they'd bring everybody from all the branches around Los Angeles together in Woodland Hills at Pierce College on Sundays. And so you really got this great network of Jewish teens with you from eighth to twelfth grade who are from all over from the top to the bottom of L.A. County.
1: Cool. Awesome. And then Alonim is that a reform camp? No, it it's before. actually
0: non-denominational. It's okay, okay. It, it in about two thousand and nine. It was it's the Brandeis Burning Institute in Simi oh, Valley, yeah. mm-hmm. but then it was bought by at the time the University of Judaism, then the American Jewish University, and so it is connected to that it is under the umbrella of that organization itself right now. But it is not connected explicitly to any denomination. So one of the things it did is, I think Max Hoffman was the original composer when the camp started in, when the college program at the camp started in the 40s. And so all of our tunes were different because not everybody was coming from the same denomination. Mm -hmm. And the thought behind that was that everybody with all of our different backgrounds would be slightly uncomfortable coming into the space. Everybody, no matter their background, would have to learn something new. Nobody could come in knowing 100% of the things already. So it gave that kind of created somewhat of an even ground for a bit for anybody coming no matter their background
1: cool yeah we call that jewish pluralism here at there Band, we go which, which i love it's great okay awesome and tell me how did you first get connected with the isjl and what exactly is an education fellow for people that might not yeah. be familiar with that term
0: so i my senior year of high school i had done a lot of education classes. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. I applied to their teacher credential program at University of California, Davis, where I was doing my undergrad. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in the classroom. I had done a lot of camp programming growing up and running that programming through college, as well as teaching religious school on the side while I was in college during my undergrad. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in all the classroom. I liked that experiential piece of it. And so I was actually researching post-grad fellowships for a friend of mine who was interested in other things. And I found this long list that some East Coast college had put together of all these certain fellowships around the country. And I saw this one and I was like, oh, that would give me the chance to explore, number one, where I'd been born in the South. Number two, have this experiential Jewish education for two years. And so it was called the Education Fellowship at the time. Right now, um, instead of education fellows, they're called Program Associates. And so it's a a little bit of a different title. Um, However, the education fellowship basically was a two-year program where you came to Jackson. Everybody lived in Jackson, center of our southern region. The shell southern region goes from all the way west to El Paso, all the way east to the top of Virginia. But we came, we live in Jackson, and we had two years to learn all sorts of skills about being both a jewish professional but just a professional in general so we got trainings on a lot of things we learned how to service we we learned how to write curriculum we learned all these different things in-house we put on a conference together but then we also got to get out on the road a lot and so we each were assigned different communities across the south the isl's education department works with over 70 different communities across the region and so we would each be assigned folks And we would get on the road different times of the year and go visit our communities. So it was really a chance to learn what communities, uh, I know we'll talk about the ISO more later, but at the time, my job was really to get to know my seven to eight communities every year and really serve their specific needs and learning how to individualize our program for those communities. And so that fellowship was really teaching us how to be those educators, but also just give us great skills that we could bring out into different jobs, whether we decided to go into the Jewish world or afterwards.
1: Great, I love it. So talk about this word. The last 5 guests I've had on my podcast have all had some background or degree in Jewish experiential education. And my question is, isn't all education experiential? What is actually what differentiates experiential education versus traditional education?
0: Yeah, I think for me it really was the thought that experiential education, you weren't getting grades. You people weren't working off a specific there was no test at the end of the year that your teachers felt like they had to prepare you for enough that their their jobs or funding or something could really be a determinant. So you really were able to get out of the classroom, whether it's like camp, getting people outside, running around, getting that information, but not just sitting in a chair and a desk, but also being outside, not feeling like you're tied to larger organizational structures in a way. So I think in a lot of settings, they are also held by standards in different ways, but I think there was... More of a freedom for people to engage with the information, really try to, I don't want to say experiment because that's cliche and using that word again, but play around with different things and work with different kids and modalities of learning and really use use the arts, use the sciences, use all these different ways and different combinations and not maybe feel like everything's siloed into different subjects and really get people on the ground running and feeling like they have their own ownership over material possibly.
1: I got it. Cool. Some more out of the box, out of the classroom, out of the syllabi of grades and performative, necessarily more experiential. Sure. Hence the word. Okay. I got it. Great. Now, give us a brief history of the ISJL. When did it start? Who started it and why?
0: The Institute of Southern Jewish Life had an earlier iteration as the Museum of the Southern Jewish Experience that initially started in about 1984 on the grounds of Henry S. Jacobs camp in Utica, Mississippi. This was a space as people were bringing their kids to camp. People were coming and talking to camp staff, namely Macy Hart, and saying, talking to many people and saying, we might be coming from a congregation that's closing. What do we do with all of our things? You know, we're in this small town and we have the like Judaica that we don't want to just go out into the ether. And so they started the museum on the grounds of this camp. That was a central part for people in Mississippi and the surrounding states who were bringing their, their kids to this camp anyways. It is the URJ camp as well, I should say. And so that went through some different iterations. And then in 2000, the full Institute of the Southern Jewish Life was started in Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson is where Macy Hart had grown up or had established himself as an adult. He grew up in the Delta. But it came to Jackson, which is about 40 minutes north of Utica, which is the, in Jackson, the capital of Mississippi. And basically, we're the central spot to serve communities across the South. As I said before, we serve this 13 state region and we really started as an organization to work with these small and mid-sized communities and say, what do you need? What services can we provide for you that you can, we can both help you sustain your programming and serve the both children and adults in your community. Or if you're a smaller congregation that is necessitating a closure at some point, how can we help you and provide resources for that? It's also to give people in these communities, and now we work with communities any size—over 100 communities in our region—from having two kids in a religious school to having 500. We'll work with people of any size, even though our origins are always we're always tied to those small and mid-sized communities and making sure they have. But really, we work with people in a variety of approaches, and I'll give you the three big sections, and then you can ask any specifics. But we work with people, both spiritually providing clergy resources for folks who don't have their own full or part-time clergy. We have our whole education department, as I talked about before, that now has program associates as well as a full curriculum that people can use anywhere across the South, as well as our amazing education conference that brings folks together to really network with each other. I can talk more about that later. And then we have our culture department. And that's where I work now. And that's where three of us really work to deliver, like, all we like to say arts, culture, and public history for and from the Jewish South on the ground, online, and in your community. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big three scope of the spiritual, the education, and the culture that right now we work to support our communities across the South.
1: Perfect. Okay. So you said a couple, you said a lot of things, and it's funny, people in the South, and those of you that have met Macy they speak slower. Okay. And us Northerners or Westerners, we come in like a guns blazing and we got to slow it down, which I always So one of the things that you said was you, the ISJL, fills in the gaps of communities. Okay. So what would be a couple of examples? You talked about clergy. Are you talking like leading services, high holidays, or clergy functions?
0: Sure. So in terms of clergy, it's really if a community in the South that doesn't have a rabbi, there's different things we can provide both day-to-day and then in person. So We just hired a new rabbi that we're very excited about, Rabbi Salem Pierce, and she is great. She was actually our rabbinical intern in 2017 when she was in rabbinical school. As we like to say, a lot of staff leaves to continue education or do a different job, but we always end up coming back. And so she has returned. And For example, she'll be in a community for high holidays. For a lot of weekends, she'll be going to different communities across the South that don't have a a rabbi. However, there's also things that she'll be working with those communities throughout the week and the months um, from her home base in Jackson. For example, if there's somebody going through conversion, she would be working with them remotely. If there's people that she's doing counseling for before a wedding, she would work with that couple remotely here and then go to the community to officiate that wedding. And so it's working with these communities to provide, give them some services, as well as remotely work with people before, during, and after life cycle events, and really meet that need for our set smaller group of people.
1: I love it. Okay. And when you say small to midsize, give people an example, like how many families, how many people we're talking about.
0: So for example, one example I can say is that Natchez, Mississippi is a, one of the oldest congregations in Mississippi itself, old historic building amazing community that has history going back hundreds of years but right now there's only eight Jews left in the city but they the community comes out and does a big Passover Seder does a big Hanukkah party with the with the Jews and non-Jews of the city they have folks who have gone through the conversion process there recently so Rabbi Salem will go and do will probably end up doing different life cycle events or doing things for those people just as any other community but we only know there's eight people but the city really rallies around them for different events and It becomes this tradition in the city to come into the building or instructions getting done, going into another building and bringing in non Jewish members as well to celebrate some of these events. So that's an example of a very small place or a place, Mm -hmm. let's say Mobile, Alabama, that is considered small on a national scale, but we don't consider one of our smallest. I was their education fellow in 2016, 17. Mm -hmm. And I think, for example, there, I was with the conservative synagogue there, amazing people. But I think I would work around. With their like K to eight students, it might have been about between fifteen and twenty students at the time, and so that and that's similar size to so what we have here in Jackson, Mississippi as well. And so that's not one of our smallest, but definitely nationwide would be considered a very small school.
1: Great. So if there is a community, and I'm sure you have a lot of them on your radar, but if there's someone that needed some services. How, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? And what's that process like? And do you are you like adding them to a sort of a roster of communities or is it a little more informal?
0: So it depends on the program. I would say if somebody needs general information, you can first check out our website at isjl.org. Okay. And then if something really speaks to you, sometimes there will be a, a specific program that has a specific contact information on there you can reach out to. But if you just want to say, hey, my community didn't know about your services and we'd love to talk to somebody, you can email info or information at isjl.org. And that central email will direct you to whoever your question is applicable to. When you're talking about rosters, I was no. just gonna say, for example, if you want to become an education partner and have those curriculum and stuff that is becomes under a contract and has a fee associated with. However, when we talk about like the cultural programs that I'll talk about more that I run those are just like on a a per event basis so that's no overarching contract it's just a per event fee and it's something you can easily dip in and out as works for your community
1: cool all right let's talk about cultural offerings what do you got
0: yes so as we said we do things both on the ground that we're running we do things in your community and then we have a lot of online offerings still so some fun highlights is number one I'll say that I run a roster that Saul is on of musicians and speakers and comedians that we can bring into your community that I help make it as easy for you as possible to bring in, help you for an event that I can run a weekend, all sorts of things. But some new folks that we have on there is number one, we have an amazing husband and wife duo that work together under the name Paper Midrash. And so this is Isaac and Rabbi Shana Brinjagard Bialik, and they come into your community and really help you create amazing art that they connect like, with Torah stories and Jewish scholarship with comic books and pop culture. They The reason I want to talk about them is we just had our education our ISJL conference here about a week and a half ago in Jackson, and they came in as one of our keynote speakers. And you, we picture 70 Jewish education professionals and just Jewish professionals in general sitting in this room with exacto knives creating this amazing artwork as they talk to us about golems and mm-hmm. we each created our own golems out of comic books and mm-hmm. so they can do programming in your community for any age and so that's cool. a very cool take on art that's not art that you're just going to throw away after you know they hope you create art that you can really put up in your citizen sy- or in your synagogue and create this like cumulative community art which it. is super cool
1: Cool. Yeah. And in case you missed how to spell their last name, go to their website because yes. I also missed it too. It was...
0: Another example of somebody on a roster who had worked with the ISJL and kind of come back into our fold is Lex Rofberg, R O F E E R G. Lex is an ordained rabbi. He actually started at the ISJL as a education fellow as well from, I believe, 2013 to 15. And he is now the senior Jewish educator for Judaism Unbound which serves online a bunch of amazing classes. They have a podcast. And so he's on our roster to be able to come in either in person or virtually to talk about digital Judaism and sports, Jewish pop culture. And he also can talk a lot about interfaith families. And so that's another cool new addition to our roster that's also somebody coming back into the, the ISJL fold.
1: Cool. And just pause on him for a second. I know yeah. he's a rabbi, but he would fall under more the category of like lecturers slash educators.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that for speaker category is really people either with ordinations or not, but are coming in as speakers. We have that whole scholarship section. Cool. Awesome. We have, so those are folks that can both come tailored specifically to your community, both digitally cool. or in person. But an example of region wide virtual programs that we are still offering is our next one is August 20th, which is a Sunday morning. We are offering it at 10 a.m. Central, which I know is early for West Coast. However, it is a, you can do from your house, a virtual cooking class with New York Times bestselling cookbook author, Julia Tertian. And so she's gonna talk about the intersection of Jewish identity with her, you know, her food. T-U-R-S-H-E-N, Julia tertian She's going to be talking about how Judaism relates to her cooking. And then everybody together is going to be able to cook a, virtually from your house an applesauce cake with cream cheese frosting. This is about three weeks before Rosh Hashanah. So this is a practice round for then something you can bring to your Rosh Hashanah table. And so that's going to be an amazing class to do together online. So anybody, and when, when we say that we have these online programs, this is open to anybody across the country. So this is not just specific to our Southern communities. Anybody across the country can sign up. I'd love to have you. And if you're interested in coming to our virtual cooking class, you can email, you can always email the info email, but you can also email me directly at programmingishell.org.
1: I love it. In terms of your roster, musicians, speakers, educate anybody, anything else or something that's coming up or you'd like to focus on just for the moment?
0: Let's see. We have... And, oh, one of our roster folks, we have another duo, this time a musical duo named Dahlia Road. It's Miriam Wyman and Toria Stark are the two women in it, but they just had an album come out. And you can check out Dahlia Road, D-A-H-L-I-A Road. And they have this amazing earthy coffeehouse vibe, but there's also like a banjo in the background sometimes. It like brings more of like a country feel. They are very cool. They're in. They're Alabama natives, and they're on a roster. They'd love to come to your community, but also anybody now can check out their music on their website, on Spotify. It just came out this week, and so would love to right. promote them as well.
1: Cool. High the press. Okay, and one of the benefits to communities, I can say this certainly from my end as an artist, but also from the community's end, mm-hmm. is because the ISL can get those artists, musicians, speakers, lecturers, educators to your communities probably at a reduced rate than you would normally get them outside. That's been my experience. And I just want to confirm that that is still accurate and that that's useful for people to know because a lot of these smaller communities can't afford to bring in artists or speakers, et cetera.
0: Working with us is beneficial for communities. Our roster participants know that we're working predominantly with small and mid-sized communities who probably otherwise couldn't bring them in. And so what they always love to do is to offer our communities a reduced rate to bring them in. Cool. And we appreciate that so much. And the other thing is that we know that a lot of our communities don't necessarily have full-time programming staff that can be sitting doing the administrative work of bringing in outside folks all the time. So that that is my job. That is my job is to make for every community as easy as possible. So I will book the person's flight, their hotel, their rental car, do all that administrative work. And so all you have to do is think about the programming you want, talk to the performer themselves or through me, whatever's easier. And then I get them to you and you're able to have this amazing program with your community without having to do a lot of that legwork. So you can focus on the most present needs for your community.
1: Cool. Yeah. She was like a tour manager slash booking agent and very yes. easy to work with. From purpose. Thank you. But I
0: do love working with everybody. It's very fun. Yeah.
1: And that is, I always joke with my musician friends. Music is free. You get paid to schlep and do all the details and the flights and the bags and the ubers and the everything else and you handle all that which is really sweet for everyone for sure anytime okay why is the isjl important in the work that they do if you can sum that up for people
0: the isjl is important because we support connect and celebrate jewish life in the south and so we're really trying to not just focus on the fact that we can provide resources for but we're also celebrating the rich jewish history that it's here We've had Jews in the South since the beginning of America and before, and there's so many amazing communities here that often get overshadowed by larger narratives in the Jewish media, et cetera, in different stories about Judaism across America. And we have so many folks here doing amazing work. And I think sometimes folks don't realize it. We love to celebrate that. With our roster, we're bringing in folks like you saw and other folks from the coast here, but also a large portion of our roster right now are Southern Jewish artists. And so we're also able to support those folks in their work and bring them across. We have many other people in Nashville. And so we have people that were celebrating their work across the South and getting them exposure, but also supporting our communities and celebrating them and really trying to let people know everything going on here. And one way that people can learn more about this rich Jewish history, I have an online encyclopedia called the Encyclopedia of Southern Jewish Communities. And this has individual encyclopedia entries for every southern state and city where a Jewish community has been. For example, Dr. Josh Parshall, who was our director of history and our amazing history interns, public history interns this summer, are working to update the Arkansas entries. Mississippi was updated last year. Florida was added a few years ago. And so if you have any family or friend history and let's say Mobile, Alabama or Columbus, Georgia, anywhere you can go and go sort by city and by state and really learn the rich history of folks who have been there
1: amazing and what if someone had a, a family story or a jewish historical narrative they wanted to contribute to that how would they do that
0: yeah you can definitely email us that's another thing that we're happy to take for example right now we're always advertising if you have a connection to jewish arkansas if there's something on there you realize the story is not being told that we would love to put that in. If it's another story, you know, Doctor Josh Parshall can definitely pull that in um, for later edits. Or if it's a small thing to do, but right now we're especially collecting those Arkansas stories. Um, but definitely reach out. That's something we love to hear because we want to make sure those stories are collected. And when I say the people there, you know, obviously we're also trying to express it's not just in the past tense that there's thriving communities in all these places, no matter the size. And so we're trying to, you know, make sure folks know that we're here and we're, you know celebrating the communities that we have and the amazing things going on.
1: Cool. Awesome. I love that. And that's something that I I just learned about that encyclopedia of Southern Jewish life and experience. It's amazing. I definitely want to check that out for sure. And actually I had some family that lived in Jackson, Mississippi, and they had all kinds of great stories. And a lot of friends Mm -hmm. of mine have moved to North Carolina, South Carolina, and you know, there's, there's a lot of migration happening in the country right now. Here's a kind of a difficult topic, but interesting to explore from a Southern perspective. Anti-Semitism, people, some would argue it's at an all-time high right now. There's a lot of stuff going around. How would you, do you find that in the South as well? Is that sort of comparable with the rest of the world? Different, changed, any thoughts around that and your experience with that and how the ISJL perhaps is educating people as a way of not combating that, but as a way of really educating, you know, sure. as a way of connecting. I think and, our focus is usually
0: that. on assisting our communities, not so much that outreach work to other folks to directly combat it. However, I'm sure a lot of the work that we do indirectly does that. I will say I know we can definitely be a reference for and a resource for some communities if they say a student of ours, let's say they have only a few Jewish students and a student of theirs is maybe going through a difficult time, being the only Jewish student in their, let's say, middle school, and they want to talk to somebody else who is currently experiencing that and figuring out how to navigate that with a student, We, if they reach out to us, let's say they're an educator we work with, we could connect them with somebody, let's say in a neighboring state even, but who is also going through that with a student in a similarly sized city, and say, great, here's another educator who can really talk to you and walk you through how they've worked through this problem. And so... I think me personally living in Mississippi, I've had a great experience here. I think the folks here who are a lot of them are very involved in Jewish life, I fe- or not in Jewish life, sorry, but their own religious lives, I felt that sometimes they understand Judaism and things more because they're well-versed in different religious practices. I know I'm obviously very lucky in that retrospect, and everybody goes through things dif- differently. And I know sometimes it is hard for students, maybe more here than other cities, when they're sometimes the only Jewish student in their grade or in their school entirely. And so I think we definitely try to be resources for that. And that I think a lot of the clergy in our region definitely work with their students on being resourced for that. And I think making sure that they know that there are folks that they could go to if they have those problems. But I think by us helping communities do, I think where the resource that allows folks to focus on things in communities tries to take some administrative things off their tasks so they can be the experts in their city and their state and we can provide a lot of the back end to help them so that they're able to focus on the mo- most mm-hmm. present issues. And we can really help them do a lot of kind of the day-to-day overarching planning and allow them to kind of focus on the direct needs of their community because they know the needs best because they're on the ground with them.
1: Got it. Great. Amazing. Okay. Anything else you want to tell people about the ISGL? And I have a couple more questions for
0: yeah, you. Yeah. Two other amazing things that I think we want people to know that are available to folks across the country, Um, I'll start with the most accessible one is that we have a new podcast. Our podcast is run by Nora Katz, who is the Director of Heritage and Interpretation, who's under the culture umbrella with me. Um, The podcast is called Southern and Jewish, with an ampersand in the middle. Um, basically, South- That's
1: an and sign, ladies and gentlemen. That's Thank an you. And sign. Great. Okay. Carry um,
0: <laughs> but basically, Southern and Jewish introduces folks to the South's and cultural heritage and like the themes of Southern Jewish history, folks working to advance social justice here, but also kind of just looking at the region's natural beauty and music and food. And so this... Um, spawned off of a project that was started a few virtual vacation that was an online video series and so there's over 30 episodes of that and so we're slowly morphing that as you know the years have changed and we've realized the stories that we're telling i mean there's overarching stories of southern and jewish stories of people across the region and so this is spawning to it's a video podcast there is currently one episode up on feeds right now but we're going to be slowly being able to migrate all of our 30 videos that are there, plus new ones coming over to all your feeds. So you can access all 30 of them on YouTube right now under the ISGL's YouTube channel. And then slowly but surely, they will be available on Apple and Spotify as well. And then one more thing that we're also running in our culture department that anybody can sign up for if you're 21 and older is that next February, we'd love to invite you to come visit Southern Jewish Mississippi and explore that. We're going to be running two different tour programs on the ground here. That's the easiest tours for you to sign up for. Unlike some of our previous tours where a congregation would sign up a group as a whole, this is individuals signing up on themselves by themselves. And so if you are any individual adult around the country and you'd like to come explore mississippi southern jewish heritage as well as civil rights history you can come sign up um we have two tours one that's a long weekend one that's a full week and so we have two different options depending what's works on your schedule yes so the first one is called jews blues and food and that one is from january 31st to february 5th i feel like you would enjoy that those topics so that is the one that's kind of a long weekend, and that will take you from Jackson to the Mississippi Delta and then up to Memphis. Um, yeah. And then our next one that's a bit more relaxed, a bit long, and kind of has some more luxurious accommodations. This one is going to be called Jewish Life in the Most Southern Place on Earth, Jackson, Natchez, Vicksburg, and the Mississippi Delta. And that one will be February 18th to the 25th of 2024. Mm-hmm. But, yes, two options there for people to come really explore Mississippi and the Southern southern Jewish history and heritage.
1: Love it. How many, um, how big can those be? There's-
0: yeah, so we have a, we're going to have a max cap of 40 people for each of those, each of those trips. And so, we. you know, if you have a friend you want to come with, you know, we'd love for, you know, few friends to sign up together, but also it's a chance for, if it's just you, for you to come and meet people from around the country. Um, but you're definitely welcome to sign up with a group of friends as well. We'd love to have you.
1: Cool. 21 and up. All right. Awesome. Great. Okay. So the question that I always ask every person that I have on the Jewish, uh, Holy Sparks podcast is what does the Jewish world need now most and why?
0: I think right now, something that is very helpful for the Jewish community to have is easy ways of networking. I think sometimes we feel very siloed in whatever our community's issues are or whatever we're going through. And I Mm -hmm. think having a network, whether it's folks, you know, across the country, whether it's folks that, you know, within your region, whether you're a Jewish professional or not, or just somebody living their lives as a Jewish member of the community I think it's nice to know that folks somewhere else are going through both the positive and maybe challenging things that you're going through. I have, I think it helps you feel less alone. And then I think it also, you can share in the good things. You can share, get to learn what cultural aspects that they've you know gotten into, going kind to of have those moments of celebration as well. But I think finding that community
1: is important. Hello. Yeah, I was going to wrap it up under the umbrella of community. Absolutely. Did you have any questions for me as having been an artist yeah. here? Is, we're going to flip the script for the first time on the Holy do Sports it. Podcast. Okay, I'm now the guest.
0: Hi, Saul. Um, so we know that you are one of our very returning, well-established members of our roster. And I know I've gone to work with you a couple of times this year, visiting a couple of places down here. I know you were in Memphis. I know you were in Shreveport. But I'd love to hear from you. I know what the community has said, have said right after the events, and you as well. But I'd love to hear what's kind of your lasting. What are the things that stick with you after kind of going out on the road as part of the ISJL performers roster?
1: It's a great question, and you know I've been touring. My gosh, for twenty years, I've played in Israel, China, New Zealand, South Africa, all over this country. Starting with secular music and jazz and blues in the South, you know uh, what they say about Southern hospitality is so true in the best way. I mean, like, just for example, I was in Shreveport. There was like a committee to make sure I had all my meal. It wasn't you. It was like on the ground. OK, we're going to make sure you have this meal, this meal. We're going to take them here. Does he need anything? It was like a whole hospitality committee, which is amazing, right? And really, if you're talking about Jewish values of you know, welcoming the guests and acts of loving kindness, like they got it down in the South. That's been every community, certainly that I've been to in the South. Now I'm not saying people in the North are unfriendly, but I'm just saying there's just a little extra something there. And uh, I really love that. And that's really been a remarkable difference for sure. And I also love, you know, I've played a lot of really big communities and big gigs and the high holidays i play for like 2000 people and et cetera. But when you're playing in a small community and this is true in large communities, so don't don't get me wrong here, but every person counts and you really feel it. Like if you're in a room, like that's why I love doing small house concerts too. There's like 10 people there. It's like every person, like every voice matters, right? Which is absolutely true in a larger community, but it's easier to kind of become part of the, the fabric of the building when you're there, right? You can kind of get lost or get overlooked. And so when you're in these smaller communities, like you really feel like you are making the call because you are actually. So I love that. And they just, you know, I can always tell when there's guitar players in the audience because there's a different level of listening. And like, you know, I have played in Nashville and Memphis and Texas, and you could tell, and they're sizing you up for the first, you know, little bit. <laughs> and once they realize that you can play, there's like this real love of music. And specifically as a guitar player, there's just this love of guitar and love of the, the genre and specifically of blues too. There's such a rich history, you know, they just love it. So it's like, for them, it's, it's, to me, the greatest validation of an artist is people say ask me if I'm from the South. Hey, are you from the South? And like, I mean, I am from South Africa, so technically I am from the South, but the different South. So anyway, when I'm playing, like, wow, you really play like you're from here. I'm like, thank you, because I want to honor the legacy of the music that I was not born into, but I I took on as my own. So really, the appreciation of the music, and last but certainly not least the food can we talk about the food in the south i mean yes. blues and barbecue you know it's a it's, it's a marriage so i, I love that uh, there's a great emphasis on all of those things and it's very warm
0: amazing um if a jewish artist or speaker is listening to this podcast right now and had considered reaching out about becoming a part of our roster is there a piece of advice um or recommendation you'd give them
1: uh yes i would say you you may not make financially what you're used to making in larger communities and that's something you should know going in so like a lot of people like i know a lot of artists i know i would say most of kind of the the top of the artists of the jewish world and a lot of them would these gigs they wouldn't do them because they they it's just their thing right like if they're not paying x dollars they're not going to do it so you have to come at it more from a place of service predominantly and an offering, right? Yes, you are going to get paid and it's going to be fine. Um, But it's not like, don't just do it for the money. That's what I'm going to say, which I don't think most people in the Jewish world operate out of that, but there is some of that. So it's like, you want to think of it more as contribution and legacy and supporting communities. And it also feels much better when you frame it up like that.
0: Sure, and I think something I'll add to that that can hopefully both help somebody thinking about this, whether they're in a community or an artist, is that you know, when time and you know logistics allow, is that sometimes we try to put together mini tours for folks. And so if you're already flying somewhere and there's a couple places you can drive to, that both helps you get a couple of gigs under your belt, as well as have communities allow them to split, split the travel costs. So that ends up being beneficial for both parties. So just wanted to throw that in there, something we do try to do. Um, So I guess my last and maybe easiest or hardest question could be, is there a place in the South, thinking about the whole region that you haven't been to yet, that one day you'd like to visit, whether on our roster or not?
1: Natchez, community of eight. I will be nine. We'll find the 10th person. We'll make a minion. Definitely want to go there.
0: We'll come down from Jackson. Yeah.
1: Start there for sure. And... Just anywhere. I mean, really, like the whole blues trail. Like, if you're familiar with that, I know some people listening might not be, but there's like a whole, you know, blues trail of all these clubs and kind of speakeasies and juke joints, and now they're maybe they're called restaurants or bars, nightclubs that all the great blues artists played. They also called it the Chitlin Circuit, and the reason why they called it that was because they knew they could go play at such and such bar and so-and-so would, would feed them at the end of the night. So in, in, in the Jewish world, we call it the chalent circuit. So you know you're gonna get fed, right? The two questions you're gonna get asked in every Jewish community when, as soon as you walk in is, are you married and are you hungry? And of course my answers was yes and yes. So um, that trail is definitely something I wanna go back to for sure and add to that heritage
0: that's amazing yeah and for anybody who wants to come on one of the tours we're offering we will be exploring the blues history of the delta so that is right up our alley and something that we hold dear to our hearts because we know how much you know um the blues history of you know mississippi and the south in general has played an impact on the south as a whole and then obviously that then impacts the jewish communities here as well um so i think that's a great answer and definitely an area you'd you'd for sure enjoy being in
1: absolutely all right well uh Let's flip the script back you're, and I want to say thank you for your time. I know you're super busy with what you're doing down there and I want to thank the ISJL for everything that they've done, not only for all the artists, but for the communities. So I think it's really important work that they're doing and I'm happy to have played a small part and happy to continue to contribute wherever I can. So
0: thank you. with that
1: being said, I always want to end with a blessing. So share. I'm going to bless you and the ISJL at the same time. Okay. So I want to bless you that with your work, Cher, that, The logistics should go smoothly. It should be easy booking, (laughs) easy scheduling, easy logistics, no flight cancellations, great weather, that your artists should be able to come and go um, with ease and that really uh, the things that you focus on should be the top level things, right? We ought to stay out the weeds and we want to stay in the blessing, which is really enriching communities, both rabbinically, educationally, musically and culturally. And that all the communities should be open to receive all the blessings of the artists and the educators and the rabbis and the people that come in, right? And there's also the saying that there are lights that must shine from outside of the Torah to illuminate the letters more brightly. So may that continue to happen in those communities as well. And with that, we will say, can you hear that song? Amen. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Holy Sparks podcast. I'm your host, Saul K. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps us more than you know. Drop a review. Share this with friends and family, people you think would enjoy the content. And we'll see you on the next episode.